But today, we're starting a brand new sermon series called, I Would, I Would, But. I don't know if you're, you're a football fan. It's always football season in Philadelphia. Did you know that? Like, literally, it is always football season. And so we're always talking about thinking about football. But a few years ago, the Eagles had a, a quarterback, a backup quarterback named Mark Sanchez. Do you remember him? If you, yes, he, we, we tried to push him out of our, our memories. And so, but Mark Sanchez uh, was the quarterback of the New York Jets. A few for a few years, and he had some 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 minimal success. There went to a few N- or AFC Championship games, but he is most known for this one play. I wish I had a video of it, uh, but I don't. Called the butt fumble. You guys remember that? And what happened is, if you watch the video, he gets the ball, he goes back to to, to maybe pass or do a quarterback draw, and he begins to run. And Vince Wilfork, who's on the who's on the Patriots, we all hate the Patriots. He takes this big, massive, three hundred pound offensive lineman. And he shoves him backwards, and at the exact same time that he's pancaking this big, massive man backwards, Mark Sanchez is running forward. He doesn't weigh 300 pounds, and so the bigger of two evils wins, right? The guy's butt, and he runs exactly into the guy's backside, falls over, fumbles the ball. They called it the butt fumble, and it was a notorious, like, worst play of the year. I think it's still one of the top worst plays. You guys remember that? The butt fumble. Like, he was going forward, but the dude's butt made him fumble the ball. This is what happens in a lot of people's walk, uh, in their walk with Christ. They, they would have what I would call the butt fumble, right? Like, not physically, but, but emotionally, spiritually, that you're moving forward, but there's this, this big butt in your way that causes you to fumble. Come on, this is better than, than what, what you're tracking. There's this, I thought it was better in my notes than where, where it's going. There's this big but that causes you to fumble God's purpose and plan for you. And so what we're going to do for the next four weeks is we're going to take a look at the four of the biggest buts that we see in people's lives. Like four of the biggest buts. Like next week we're going to take a look at the time when God's calling you to do something, but you just, you're just, I would, but I feel shame. I'm, I'm embarrassed. Like I would do that, but I don't feel like I'm qualified. I'm, I'm, I'm shameful of my past. And so we're going to take a look at, at that. In, in a few weeks, we're going to take a look at the times where, where you would, but you feel stuck. Like, you know how many times I'm talking to somebody, and I'll preach the word, and they'll come to me, and they're like, I would do that, but I don't know. Like, I don't know how to get out of this situation. I'm living with my boyfriend. I, I want to move out, and I want to follow God's purpose and plan, because that's not the right way to do my relationship. That's not doing it right, right? And so we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. I would do that. But I don't know what else to do. I don't have anywhere else to go. I feel, I feel stuck. Today is my favorite one. I, I, I would, but I just don't want to. We're going to get real honest up in here. You ever deal with your kids and you're like, why did you do that? And your kids come up with all sorts of reasons, right? I forgot. I just told you like 30 seconds ago. I didn't hear you. You ever been there? You didn't, what? I yelled, I mean, the neighbors down the street heard, heard me. Pretty sure they're calling the cops on me right now, right? There's a disturbance at, two, at, your, at your address, right? Like, that's going on. I'm not giving you my address. And so, I grew up in the ministry. I know what happens if you give church people your address. So anyway, your kids, they'll be like, I don't want to. I don't want to. And what I would love for one time for my kids is just be like, I would have, but I didn't want to. And I, listen, I would still discipline them, but I would be like, at least you're being honest. At least you're being truthful. And so I want to talk to you about those situations in your life where, where God's calling you to something, but you're, you're really in the spot where you, 
You simply, it's not that you haven't heard, because you've heard me say it like 1,700 times. You've heard us share the truth of Scripture. You've heard us tell, you just don't want to. I'll give you a time in this church back in 2008. I distinctly felt, I didn't hear, but I felt God call us to give 10% of our income away outside of our church. We had no money at this point. We had no money. And I distinctly remember feeling, I know when God is speaking to me, like feeling God call us to begin to give 10% in 2008. We didn't start giving it away till 2010. You know what the previous two years were? I would, God, but I don't want to. Like I, I would give 10% away, but if we give 10% away, I'm pretty sure my family's not going to eat because we're going to give more money away than we have in the bank right now. So I, don't, I know what you're saying, God. And I, listen, there was for time, I would be like, well, maybe he's not saying that. Maybe like I could dig up in the Greek and the Hebrew somewhere and figure out a way he's not saying that. He doesn't really say it anywhere in scripture to give away 10% of your income outside the church. And then I would start like going through and being like, well, the organizations we're going to give it to, they don't really need that couple thousand bucks. And, you know, my kids are going to starve and, and we're going to have to go on Compassion International and get somebody to sponsor them during the month. And so all this stuff's going on. And so I would... I just didn't want to. We started in 2010 giving, and we've never stopped. But there was those two years where God was calling me to something like, I would forgive that person, but I hate them, and I don't want to. Like, I know Scripture says to forgive them. And I also know that Scripture says to the extent that you forgive them will be the extent that God will forgive you. But you don't know how bad they are, God. So I would, but I don't want to. I would give money away. I would be generous. But let's be honest, God. That's dumb. I don't want to. I would stop sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. But it feels good and I don't want to. Like I just don't. I would parent that kid. But I don't want to. They're crazy. Like there's things that God's going to call you to do that at some point... You're not going to want to do it. In fact, I will say this. If you're going to follow God for the rest of your life, you are going to come to a fork in the road at some point where your will and God's will are going opposite directions. And you are going to have to decide in that moment whose will is going to win. And so we're going to start in, in, in a story. We're going to go on a journey today with a, with a man named Jonah in the Old Testament. It's, it's the book's actually called Jonah. It's a four-chapter book of, of the Bible, I'd encourage you to read it. I know Pastor Jordan wrote a reading plan with, with this message, and so you can go on the Bible app and follow along. But I want to show you in this story, because this is how it begins. I would, but I don't want to. And I want to show you how to work your way through this, because at some point, you're going to come to a fork in the road where God is saying, do this, do this, do this. And here's the thing. He's like the, the, the Fugees. You can't hide. He's going to find you. The rest of the part of that song is not applicable to my message. Doing it right, it will be. But he, he's not, okay, you don't want to do it. That's fine. Do whatever you want. He's going to keep coming after you. He's going to keep saying, where are you going? You're like the dog that continues to run. You're on the leash. You're connected to the owner. And you keep running away as if you're going to get away. And every time you get to the end, <laughs> you ever have a dog like that? You're like, why do you keep doing that? It is kind of entertaining, but just stop. The leash is not getting longer. It's not going to break. You just keep having to come back. The same thing is true of God. But I want to show you in the book of Jonah chapter 1, 
uh, the verse number one, just, just a few verses of, of, of a man dealing with this because it will help us to kind of understand and relate to this man. Just so you know, Jonah is a prophet of God. It means his job is to speak on, on God's behalf to other people. It's a pretty, pretty prestigious job. It's, it's pretty important. So that's his main job. That's the only reason he's on the earth at this point. And so the Bible says in verse number one that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. In verse number two, it says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Simple command. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pack your stuff up. I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, and I want you to preach against it. Here's why. Because its wickedness has come up before me. It's a bad city. I want you to go there, and I want you to call them to to repent. Watch what verse. I mean, it can't get any more. You ever been with God? You're like, let's not black and white enough. Did you mean never have sex till I get married? Or like, if the, find the person that I think I want to marry, I can have sex with them? Or like, what is actually sex? Like, you ever been there? We're going to have fun in this series, can you tell? Yeah. We're going to do it right. And so, like, what exactly does that mean? I don't know, it says to give 10%, like return 10% of, the, of my money back to God. Like, what exactly is 10%? Like, I know it says to, to not gossip, but what is gossip? If it's truth, is it really gossip? I know it says to be kind, but who? Kindness is in the eye of the beholder. We live in Pennsylvania, so you know I'm I'm a pretty far above the pay grade here. What does that look like? It's pretty black and white. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against them because their wickedness has come up before me. I've seen what they're doing. You need to go tell them to repent. Pretty black and white. And so, what does Jonah do? He does not do that, just, just so you know. It's going to be a shocker to some of you. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port, Tarshish. And the Bible says, after paying the fare, went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Here's what you need to understand. When God comes to you, he's going to often ask you to do things that you don't want to do. Let me explain to you a little background of this situation. Jonah hated the Ninevites. Hated. You know how I know that? Because Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. These were the ultra, most ridiculous, most, they, the Jewish people hated these people. They were awful people. Like, let me just explain to you how awful the Ninevites were, the, the, the Assyrians. They, they were an awful people. It had gotten so bad, and this is why I think Jonah hated them, is at that point in history, they, they were so ruthless that if people heard that the Assyrians were coming to attack their city or their country, oftentimes an entire city would commit suicide before they would ever get there because they did not want to face them. Because they knew when the Assyrians got there, man, they were going to torture people. If they stayed alive, when the Assyrians arrived to your city, they would kill everyone. But they wouldn't just kill you. They would rape women and then they would kill them. They would rape little kids and then they would kill them. They would take the men out into the desert and they would skin them alive. And they would put their body uh, neck deep in, in sand. Could you imagine that feeling? Then they would take their tongue out and they would drive a stake through their tongue so that they would, su- they would suffer from not being able to, to get a drink in the desert and they would eventually go crazy and die and then that wasn't enough. Then after they would rape and kill and skin people alive, they would take the heads of every person in that city, they would chop, decapitate their bodies and they would make a pyramid of he- dead heads, right, outside of the city so that everybody who passed by that city knew the Assyrians took this over. There's a good chance that Jonah knew somebody that the Assyrians had killed. I mean, it... 
This is the most ridiculous thing you could ask this man of God to do. You want me to go do what? I'm going to march into the city where they skin people alive and tell them to repent to a God they have no idea who he is? God, I like my skin and my tongue. I like my head where it's at. So you know what he does? He goes the complete opposite direction. God said go east, so he goes west. You ever been there? He doesn't just go one step west. He buys a ticket to Tarshish. Tarshish is the farthest away destination known to mankind at that point from where he was at. It was a 2,500-mile journey on boat. Some commentaries estimate it was a year in the wrong direction. He wasn't just trying to run. He was trying to hide. Just like the Fujis, though. You can't hide. So he gets on this boat, and he begins to, to sail. And here's the thing about it. You can be sure... That if you're trying to run from God, there's always going to be a boat that finds you. That there's going to be a reason that you, you should go. But, but he, here's the problem that you'll notice as we continue in this story. Where your will wins, you actually end up losing. Where your will wins, you actually end up losing. You, you may get what you want, but, but you'll ultimately end up losing what you need. And it's impossible, I would say. It's impossible to get to God's destination without following his direction. Like, it is almost impossible. So what I want to do is I want to spend the next uh, few minutes, I almost said four hours, the next 19 minutes talking to you. Some of y'all would have never came back. About four (laughs) steps to killing your will. Because some of you here, you're running, trying to get away. God's been calling, he's been calling, he's been calling. You just put your phone on vibrate, right? You turned it on silent. You can't even find your phone now. But he's still calling. You're trying to do something else, and then you're praying and asking God to bless you, and you're doing all these things, and God's going, no, you, you can't move anywhere until you accomplish this part of your life. And so what do you do when God's calling you to do something, but you just don't want to do it? Eventually, your will and God's will are going to go against each other. So how do you kill your will in that? Somebody's will has to suffer. And here's the thing, if God's will suffers in your life, you know what else, you know what also suffers? Your peace, your future. It's really hard to pray to God for the peace that surpasses all understanding as you're running from him. It's it's really difficult to ask God to make a way where there seems to be no way where he's already told you to go and you refuse to go. If you have anxiety in your life right now, I, 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 I would argue maybe... Maybe sometimes when you get anxiety, maybe almost every time you get anxiety, it's because there's a crack in the foundation somewhere. And if there's a crack, let me promise you something, the devil will attack. You see, when you run from God, all those things that you want, but then the Bible says, but if you seek first God's kingdom, if you do his will, everything else that I just said that everybody else is looking for is there. So at some point, you need to learn, it's going to be God's will, not mine. In other words, I would say it like this, my plan's done. And God's will, he, he won. And so I want to show you how that works, and I want to take you into a Bible verse, Proverbs chapter 3. And I want this to become, if you struggle with this, like, I would, but I don't want to. Or for, maybe for the rest of this sermon series, like, when you come up against something God's asking you to do, and you don't fully understand it, and you don't fully grasp it, and you don't see the end, and you're confused by what he wants you to do, even though he's calling you to do it, I want you to go back to this Bible verse. And I, I think for many of you, this is a verse that I consistently go back to as a pastor that keeps me grounded 
in, in the truth when I don't feel like following the truth. And this is what it says in Proverbs 3, verse number 5. It says, watch this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Then it says, and lean not on your own understanding. That, that, that's good stuff right there. This is what you're going to do. You're going to trust in the Lord with your whole heart. You're going to lean not on your own understanding. Watch this. In all your ways, you're going to submit to him. And watch the promise. Because God's a, a good God. He's a promising God. What does it say? And he will make your path straight. So here's four ways to kill your will. Ready? We're just going to go right through this verse together. Number one is this. Is you're going to trust in the Lord with all your heart. I, I will say it like this. A relationship without trust in God is like a car without gas. You can stay in it as long as you want, but you don't end up going anywhere. You can sit, and it's a beautiful car. I got the beautiful presence of God. I come to church. I sit in this beautiful auditorium or wherever you're at, or maybe you don't think this is beautiful. It's beautiful to us, right? And so beautiful auditorium, and I sit there, and I'm in the presence of God, and we got these great singers and these great bands, and they entertain me and all these things. And then you, it's like sitting in a car without gas, okay? We'll go somewhere. Well, I don't trust that. I don't want what to do. And you leave and you never, and here's what I found out. Man, believing in God is the easy part. Stepping out and actually believing him is really difficult. Actually taking him at his, at his face and saying, okay, God, you're calling me to do this. You want me to do this. Like, I think up to this point, Jonah was kind of like this. I mean, what's he struggling with? You want me to do What? Like, I, it was cool when you were calling me to go talk to the people that I like to talk to and, you know, and, and communicate things. And they kind of liked me because I was a prophet and I was maybe sharing some good information. You want me to go to the Ninevites? I'm going to die, God. They're going to skin me alive. Put it. I don't. What's he saying? I don't trust your plan. I, I, I don't trust what you're calling me to do. At the end of the day, every time that you refuse to take that step, what are you ultimately saying? I don't trust you. You're calling me to, to, to put you first in my finances. I don't really trust that you're going to bless the next 90%. I just don't. You're calling me to forgive that person. And I don't really trust that when I forgive them, that I'm going to walk in freedom. I'd rather stay in the prison that I'm in right now than trust you with that. God, you called me and, and, and do this. I don't really, I, don't, I, I can tell you when, when it was given 10% away, why didn't I do it? If I'm truthful with you, when, when it was in our church, it was because I was like, I don't really trust you, God. Like, I think I could do a better job with your church than you could with your church. I'm just saying. Try having that conversation with the creator of the heavens and the earth. But essentially, I just don't trust you. And so here's what you need, need to understand uh, uh, about trust, why it's so important. It's trust is what enables you to continue to follow and pursue God's plan. But here's where trust is built. Trust is built on the understanding of how much God loves you. Until you understand how much God's loved you, you'll never trust him. And until you trust him, you'll never be obedient to him. And so if you have a hard time being obedient when he says step, step out, it's because you don't trust him. But the reason you don't trust him is really because you don't understand how much he loves you. You don't understand love at all, really. Love to you is you give a little bit, he does a little bit, you give a little bit, he does a little bit, you keep him happy, he'll take care of you, you make things well for him. Like that's what you think love is when biblical love is totally different. 
Biblical love is established in who created you. It was established in your mother's womb before you were ever on this earth, before anybody ever laid eyes on you. That God was telling you in that moment that I formed you in your mother's womb, that I love you more than your mother, more than your daddy, more than your wife, more than whoever says they love you in this earth. I love you more. And my purpose and my plan for you was written out before any day was ever lived. I know what I'm doing. And when you begin to comprehend and understand that, then all of a sudden you begin to trust him. And when you begin to trust him, all of a sudden you begin to obey him. And when you make obedient decisions in your life, all of a sudden your life is going in a completely different direction. But it is rooted in trust, right? Like with my kids, if there was ever a moment in their life where they are typically, like I'm a firm believer in discipline. But there's sometimes when I'm disciplining them right that I will step back from going crazy. You ever been in the middle of discipline? You're like, what did you do? Like, and you step back actually and you're in your right mind and you're disciplining them in the correct way. And you have one of those aha moments where you're like, well, the reason that you keep, the reason you keep eating things I tell you not to eat, the reason you keep sneaking stuff around, the reason I walk in and you put something in your hand, you look at me, but you won't tell me what's in your hand, is because you don't trust me. And more rules are not going to make you trust me more. Like, if I just give you more religion today and say, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this, and then I've got to be happy, guess what? You're only going to do it when you're here. And as soon as you leave this place, you're going to do whatever you want. And why? Because you don't really trust God because you don't know how much he loves you. You begin to understand that God's love is not to keep stuff from you. It's to get stuff to you. There's a difference. And so when I look at my kids and I go and, I'm, and I step back and I go, you don't trust me. Like you're still going to get in trouble for what you're eating. You're still going to get in trouble for sneaking that. But at the end of the day, you don't think I'm good. And I try to communicate with them through my actions that I'm a good daddy. I'm going to get you. I'm, listen, there's times I'm going to sneak you some sugar behind your mom's back if you know what I'm saying. But you got to trust me, right? Like you got to believe in the goodness of your heavenly or your earthly father. And, and, and then they begin to trust me. And then all of a sudden when I'm not with them, they're not doing stuff they're not supposed to do because they know and they, they know and they believe and they understand that they can trust me. And because they trust me, they can obey me. And ultimately it's built on my love. The same thing is true for God. You're going to trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does that mean? You're going to deeply understand the love that God has for you. That if he's asking you to do something, it's not because he's trying to hurt you. It's because he's trying to get you somewhere. In fact, that's what it says in Scripture in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. It says, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, verse 18, to grasp. Watch this. Just grasp this. Just grab this. To grasp a hold of how wide how long, how high, and how deep that the love of Christ is. And to know that the love that surpasses knowledge, that's what it says about God's love. It don't even make sense. I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. How can you love somebody like me? How can you, how can you put up with somebody like me? You ever been there? You should be every day. That's what makes you grateful. How do you look at me? How do you keep giving me second chances? Paul says, I want you to grasp, to understand how large that this love is. This is a love that, he says, surpasses even knowledge. And then what happens? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That God would fill you up with that. Why? It'll build trust. Number two is this. You're going to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Then you're going to lean not on your own understanding. Some of you carrying around a big, massive, heavy burden on, on your life. You know what it is? Control. Control. I guarantee you, if you're consistently stressed out, you have anxiety of all, it's because you are carrying around control with you. 
You're in control of your own life. You know, Jonah's good until God says, hey, go somewhere I don't want to go. I don't want to do that. I'm the boss of my own life. And at some point, you're going to have to step away. You're going to trust in the Lord with all your heart, and then you're going to do something. You're going to lean not on your own understanding. Isn't this the very thing that, that the people in the Bible have struggled with since the very beginning in the book of Genesis? Where'd the first sin come from? Adam and Eve, they, they struggled with control. God said, don't eat that fruit. What are you, what are you, what are you trying to hold out on us, God? He's trying to hold out on us. He, he, he doesn't want us to have the best in life. He, he doesn't. And they're struggling with what I would call control. They want to be in control of their own life. They don't think God's good. They don't trust God. They don't know God's love for them. And so they're struggling with control. At some point in your life as a Christian, you're going to need to drop that big weight. You're going to need to put it down. God, I don't need to be in control. God, I don't need to know tomorrow. God, I don't need to know who I'm going to marry. God, I don't need to know how this is going to turn out. God, I don't need to know what I'm going to do in 15 years. God, I don't even need to know what I'm going to do maybe next month. God, I just want to follow you. I'm going to lean not on my own understanding. I can't tell you how many times that when we cut that check at the end of the month and I watched that check go out of our church and it was many times for more money than we would have left over in the bank at the current time and I cut it and I was like this don't make sense where's the big givers that's what I mean where's the people who are giving we got a bunch of 25 they don't even got jobs we have a potluck and we have all you can eat ramen at the church like that's where's the money God I'm sending it away you gotta lean not on your own understanding. you got to give up the right to be in control. And, and actually what you're doing is you're resting your intellect upon the intellect of God. That's what you're doing. You're resting your brain, because it's not that big, upon the creator of the heavens and the earth. You need to stop saying to yourself, if it don't make sense to me, it just can't be. Like, you need to step away, and you need to read Proverbs 3 from time to time. And I love this verse. Watch what it says. It says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. So here's what I do when I get to these situations. I get to them often. I do two things. I, I, I yield the fields. And what I mean is, is I don't necessarily want to get inside my own self and go, well, God, I just don't feel like doing this today. And so since I don't feel like doing it, it must not be your will. You're, you know what that you are? You're an immature moron. That's what I am in those situations. The Bible says my heart is deceitful. Like, it, 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 it's going to lead me astray all the time. God's word will never contradict, his, his will will never contradict his word. And so what I do is I yield the fields in, in, in my life, and then I do something. I check myself before I wreck myself. Come on, that's good. You don't know about today. It's summer. I'm going to check myself with Scripture before I wreck myself. I'm going to line it up with God's Word. I'm going to say, God's asking me to give this away, and he asked Jonah to go preach to dudes that were going to murder him. Sounds about right. Like, God is probably calling me to something like this. It's intimidating, and it's scary, but I'm not going to lean on my own. I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. Understand his love. Understand he's good. Understand he has a good plan. And then I'm going to lean not on my own understanding. And two more. In all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge him. I'm going to submit to him. How does that work? Well, you notice what Jonah didn't do is he didn't 
get requested by God to do something really intimidating and say, I should probably pray about this and acknowledge that you're with me. You know what he did? He ran. He ran and bought a one-way ticket to the farthest away place he could go to. You, do, you see this, and you go to a different time in Scripture, and you go to the example of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says, and he is facing imminent death. And the Bible says that he, he's struggling. He has anxiety to what God has about, is about to do, has called him to. I mean, he, he's fully human at this point, fully man. And so he's feeling all human emotions. That's why, I love, that's why I love Jesus. There's nothing I go through that he doesn't understand. He's going to die. He's in the garden. His friends are sleeping. They can't even stay up and pray with him. And the Bible says in, in Luke chapter 22, verse number 42, it says that he prays this. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Basically, what he's saying is, is there any other way? Can there be any other way? Like, this is, this is ridiculously scary and intimidating to me to go to the cross. Same thing Jonah would have faced. Is there any other way? Is there any other opportunity? Can you send somebody else? Maybe he should have even asked that. It said he just ran. And Jesus says this as he ends. He says, take this cup from me. Then he says this, and I love this. He says, says, not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus won our victory on that cross 2,000 years ago. But he won his victory in the garden. He overcame his will. He, He overcame his desires. He overcame his fear. He overcame his anxiety. And he acknowledged in that moment his father. Not my will, but your will. So I'd like to, to promote something new in your life. Because you're going you're gonna to find moments in your life where you're overwhelmed, where God's asking you to do something you don't want to do, where he's led you into a situation that's confusing. And I would argue that most of the time we do not acknowledge that he's there with us. Instead we're going, help! Hey, big guy! What's up with this? Maybe in those moments, you should just simply acknowledge he's right there with you. And so here's here's what I mean. The next time you're staring down an intimidating situation, you're just going to stop and you're going to acknowledge God. God, you're with me. You've called me here. You give me everything that that I need to have. The next time an unexpected report comes from the doctor, you know what you're going to need, you're going to do? You're going to acknowledge God's there with you. In all your ways, you're going to acknowledge God. The next time you have to have a difficult conversation with somebody that you're about to have to forgive, before you, or forgive them, before you do that, you're going to acknowledge that God is there. The next time you cut your tithe check, as you step out in faith, you're going to acknowledge the promises and the presence of God there. In all your ways, in every situation, in every circumstance, you're simply going to submit yourself and acknowledge that God is with me. So the next time you get into a situation and you acknowledge God, you're just going to say, God, you're bigger than me, and God, you're better than my enemy. God, you're bigger than where I'm at right now, and God, you're better than what you're calling me to. You're going to acknowledge God. And then the last one is this. I love this. Watch this promise. And he will make your path straight. Some of you are laughing. You're going, I don't feel straight. It feels really windy. I'm right there with you. I showed you a picture one time in church, and I said, listen, I just think God's will, when you do it, is just, just mows down stuff. But instead, God's will is kind of like this. And then it's like this for a long time, and it's like, poof. That's how it's been for me. Get on it, and you just kind of go, and you're going, don't feel straight. 
So when's that promise happening? So I was praying about that because I'm like, God, how am I going to preach a point that I don't even think is right? Feels like you make it wavy. So he started having me think about my boys, and that's kind of where I understand the goodness of God often as I look at my boys and understand what it, what it is to be a dad and what it is to make mistakes and what it is to love and all those things. And he reminded me of, of trips we've taken when I was a kid too. And you would get in the car with your, with your, 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 your boys or your, or your parents or whatever, and you would go with your family. And as you're, you're traveling, you know, some of the trips seemed really long. You remember that? And so you learn a trick somewhere between the age of 5 and 12. And the trick is just go to sleep. And when you wake up, you'll be there. You remember that? It's one of the greatest moments of your life. So me and Lincoln were going to Dorney Park a few weeks ago, and you know how that hour trip was. Waving through McCungie and, and Bartow and, and, and Bally, where you, where you literally, you walk, you can walk faster than you're allowed to drive through that town. And it is taking forever. And at some point I was like, bro, just go to sleep. Trust in your daddy with all your heart. Lean not on your own driving understanding. In all your ways, go to sleep and submit to him. And I will make our path straight. You know, wake up and all of a sudden, we're here already. That was a straight trip. That was a fast trip. Yeah, it was. But you know what? Feels straight and fast to him. Feels quick to him. That's what happens when you do this. It's not that life is, is easy. It's not that it just works out like you never have to go around a bend, but all of a sudden you're resting in the presence of God and you can just go, hey, I've trusted in the Lord with all my heart. I'm leaning out of my own understanding. Every day I wake up and I acknowledge him and guess what? I can sit back. He's going to make my path straight. He's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. He's going to part a sea where it's in the way. He's going to bring water into the desert. He's going to move mountains in my way. He's going to do everything he needs to do to get me where I'm supposed to go. My job is to simply follow him. I would, but my will says I don't want to. But guess what? My will is done. His will has won. That's where you need to get to. I would, but I don't want to. I get it. I've been there. You can get to where you think you need to be and miss out on God's purpose and plan for your life. If you want all the promises of Scripture, guess who you got to listen to? The one who wrote the promises. The Bible says every promise in Scripture is yes and amen. There's a period at the end of that statement. Would you stand?